Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to uh, another miserable edition of the Roper Report podcast. I'm your miserable host, Alex, and I'm joined by my miserable guests, Ant. How are you doing, Ant? Yeah, miserable. How are you? Yeah, miserable. <laughs> you know. Just... I'm also joined by Sam. How are you doing, Sam? I'm all right. Um, a bit more sad now listening to YouTube, so I'll, yeah, I'll join you as miserable as well. Yeah. I've heard it's your birthday, though, Sam. Did you not enjoy the present Sutherland got you? Um... Yeah, they've done worse down the years, like, but um, no, not particularly, no, I didn't. No. Fair enough. And we're also joined by Mark Donnelly of The Echo. How are you doing, Mark? Well, I was all right now. The mood's been well and truly brought down. I don't yeah, know, yeah, yeah, it's well been, and truly been brought nice, down. nice and sullen in preparation for today's pod, which is going to have a pretty consistent theme throughout, I'm afraid, because there's very little to talk about. But just for those of you who've been out of the loop, um, I envy you because I'm going to bring you back into it now. Basically, Sunderland have had two pretty abject results this week. First of all, we got beaten 2-1 by Leicester's under-21s in the Leasing.com trophy. Following on from that, Sunderland went on to improve on their defeat with a draw in the first round of the FA Cup against Gillingham, which is equally as irritating for a whole different bunch of reasons. We now have a replayed Priest field when we could have had 10 days off. But again, we will get to that in a bit. Let's start with Leicester under-21s. Obviously, we lost 2-1. It was a pretty terrible game. We'll have some thoughts from you, Mark. Tell me what you thought as you watched on at that awe-inspiring fixture. Yeah, it was it was a really kind of disappointing evening because Phil Parkinson had named a strong team and you expected Sunderland to put in a really good performance. You know, you were expecting something maybe along the lines of that Tranmere game. If they'd have won, they'd have been through. Nice and easy. Knockout stages, a bit more money for the club, obviously. I know £10,000 for winning is not a huge deal in the grand scheme of things, but it, it's something. Um, 10000 more than nothing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly, which is what they've ended up with. I think Leicester were probably better than expected. They were certainly a lot better than Stokes' under-21 team that came last year. They had some really good players in there, some players with some football league experience. Uh, I think a centre-half that cost about £13 million, who probably actually was the worst the worst player in their team. Um, but Sunderland, again, it was... Just switching off after half time, two kind of really, really soft goals, a penalty, and then it was a good strike, but he had far, far too much room. And just really looking quite poor in the final third, not really creating a huge deal. It's taken a set piece from Chris Maguire to score, and I can't off the top of my head think of another chance that they really created in that game. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of been the common trend the last few weeks. They've been having those moments of magic, a little bit of luck or a set piece to score. They're not 
carving teams open with really the exception of that Tranmere game. And it was, yeah, it was a real disappointment because there was an opportunity there to to progress, to put down a little bit of a marker of, you know, for Phil Parkinson, this is how I want to play. I want to play attacking football and they've missed that opportunity. Who do you think stood out as a particularly poor performer in that game? I don't think Dylan McGeoch took his no. took his chance. Um, yeah, I mean, I wasn't going to say there was a right answer to that question, but in the build-up of that goal <laughs> where he sort of went to the ball and fell over himself. Yeah, I mean, that was a real opportunity for him because it was the first time he'd he'd played under Phil Parkinson. He's been kind of bang out of favour. He's really the only person who hadn't had a chance um, and he, he really didn't take it. Likewise, maybe a little bit harsh as a young lad, but I don't think Benji Kimpioka covered himself in glory particularly. Um he does a lot of running. He's a, he's very energetic, but he's just his end products. Just mm-hmm. at this moment in time, non-existent. He's the kind of person I think Kim Bjorka, who, when we slate what more and exaggerates his poor features, we're actually describing Benji Kim Bjorka. Like he is like the poor exaggeration of what more that we used to band around. That's sort yeah. of how I see him, unfortunately. And even if you watch him in the twenty threes, his end products still kind of lacking at times it's something he really needs to improve on yeah there's only so long you can dine out on sort of pace and energy you know yeah. it's exciting at first watching a young lad from the academy run up players but I think once you realise that they aren't really getting anywhere you start to you yeah. start to lose the hype don't you and I think the ex- the hype and the expectations have been placed sky high because he kind of burst onto the scene last season didn't he with that goal at Hartlepool then he scored against Carlisle in the in Newcastle in the cup and mm-hmm. you start to think alright yeah we might have a real talent on our hands here and then his performances this year really haven't lived up to that he's not had the impact that you know, he wanted that Phil Parkinson hoped he could bring. And yeah, it was maybe a little bit of a, a missed opportunity for him, but he was on the bench at the weekend, so I'm sure he'll get plenty more chances yeah. moving forward. Was there anything, do you think, too gloat about looking at that game? Was there anything where you looked and where we, maybe we looked and thought, yeah, he had a good game, we did this quite well? Did anything, was there anything at all remotely positive? The, the one thing that I think in that game on Saturday and in Phil Parkinson's tenure as a whole is that. I really, really like the kind of intensity he wants to play with, the quick restarts from free kicks, things like that. They're small things, but it's what the better teams tend to do. And he's obviously trying to get that across. You know, I'm sure we'll go on mm-hmm. to talk about the, the Gillingham replay and the fact that he's now not got that kind of two weeks on the training ground, but that's obviously a key part of his style of play and somebody he wants to bring in. And that's maybe a, a small positive. And cause they, they took that quick free kick that then got ruled out, didn't it? When yeah. was it Ledbetter chipped it through? And, you know, things like that we've not seen for, for a while. That kind of little bit of inve- inventiveness and quick thinking probably shouldn't have been ruled out in, in all honesty but uh, you know that kind of thing's really really good to see and hopefully something that they'll, they'll carry into the more important if you want to call them that fixtures well that's one thing that yeah I, I would definitely agree with Mark when you look at the way Parkinson wants to play what you can do is look and see how he wants to play which is something that we sort of lost under Ross quite significantly no, at no point could we really figure out what he was trying to do, what the players were trying to do? We'll go to you, Sam. You know, we'll, we'll, let, we'll, let, you, we'll let you jump in on this one. Now, obviously, I know you didn't see the Leicester game, but looking at the way that Parkinson has tried to play, should we maybe have some positivity that while things haven't gone completely according to plan, to put it quite mildly, it is good to see that there is a plan in place, which is a lot more than what we had before. Yeah, I think so. I think I sat on the podcast a few days before we got Parkinson. We were talking about managers and all sorts. We were talking about Ross. And one of the main things that was identity and style of play and just someone putting the mark on the team. And I think, although under Parkinson, I do think we've had mixed performances. I, like you say, there is sort of a style, there's, there's an intent of what we're doing, there's a purpose. If, if mm-hmm. anything, it's not just things aren't going our way and no one really knows what's going on. There's, like uh, Mark said, with a quick free kick, I've, I forgot about that in the Leicester game where um, Ledbetter chips it through McNulty scores, doesn't he? I think he actually got booked for taking it quickly, yeah. Ledbetter, which probably says more about the officials, but... No, I'd, I have 
seen a positive under Partance and the only worrying thing now is the results are starting to look a bit shaky. But performance-wise, I think there's definitely been improvement. You know, obviously, well, whether or not it is obvious, I'm not sure, but I, I never really want to sort of lambast a manager before he's had a, a significant amount of time. But I, I can't pretend I'm particularly confident of how things have gone so far. But anyway, one sort of phrase that's been banded around, I'll go to you for this one, Ant, and this is based on the Leicester under-21 defeat. We've had some fans saying that this is the worst loss in our history. Whether that's hyperbole and a bit of an exaggeration, I'm not sure. What do you think? I think when you look at it, it kind of is, because we lost to an under-21s team. Um, again, I mean, I've, I've been watching us for neck end of 30 years. I'm showing my age now, aren't I? And I've, I've seen a lot worse performance losses, you know what I mean? But mm -hmm. when it goes like the stature of, of this club, and I get with League One, I get this Napa, Sunderland should not be losing to a, an under-21 team. Um, you know, and I, even on, on Tuesday night, I, I had a, a go at a few fans, to God be honest, because I don't get with what's built, what's like what they're going to get with building them off. But then I can kind of understand their kind of mm -hmm. thing, as in, it's an under-21 side, we should be playing them off the park, really. It's yeah. like what Mark said, that was a strong side, wasn't it? You know, players like Kimpy August should be like getting, them, getting that and... Running with it, really. McGeoch should be dominating that midfield. Um, even like even Flanagan, Flanagan should be putting in a performance, and it's, it's just poor. It's they like poor all around, really. As you say, Mark, if you look at them on paper, like that, they're a very prestigious set of young lads. You know that they're all a lot of those are tipped to have a lot of potential going forward. But one thing that's consistent among all sort of like young players is a, a, a profound level of inexperience compared to senior players. And, you know, some of those lads won't be fully physically developed. Some of them will be quite still quite dear in the headlights for senior games. It can never sit well with you, no matter how good they're tipped to be, that a team of under-21s have beaten your senior team. Because ultimately, we both have professional footballs on our side and ours are meant to be sort of like fully-fledged adult players in the football league. They should be able to play a team of kids and beat them, especially when most of those kids, as you say, are on loan in the football league as well. Yeah. So in, in theory, if we're working at the same level here, then you've got a team of bands and we have a team of adults. My understanding that the phrase men against boys means that the men are better than the boys, but the boys have schooled the men. If I've heard the phrase before, it's the worst loss in our history and fans are saying that, then, you know, I don't even know how wrong they really are. You know, like it could be, you know, like that could be one of the worst losses in our mm -hmm. history because it's just, it's just demeaning. I think it probably says more about the Leasing.com trophy and its structure more than anything else. I don't know what was wrong with just having League One and Two in there, like like it originally was. But ultimately, I'm not going to use the trophy structure to excuse the fact that, you know, what's put egg on our faces has been ourselves. But anyway, I'm, I'm happy to leave that game there because it's awful to talk about. We'll have the three-word review from the Gillingham game and we'll have a little chat about that. So, yesterday on Twitter, as always, we asked the good people of social media if they can give us three words to summarise our 1-1 draw against Gillingham. We have John Dobson, who says McLaughlin ball boy. Lewis Dimmick says Burge number one. SCFC North Yorkshire says another weekend ruined. Ben said Scott says problem wasn't Ross. David Fell says worst possible result. Anne Caldwell says it's all downhill. Phil Orty says gone by Christmas. Hannah Brown says forfeit the replay. Hong Kong Fui says losing the fans. Hertz Mackham says must start McNulty. And Tiny Footy says dreadful negative tactics so we'll go straight back to you here and mm -hmm. looking at the game yesterday just just give me your overall thoughts on the game 
You know what I thought? First half, I thought we actually played relatively well. You know, I thought we were on top. Dobson and um, Power were dominating the midfield. Uh, we ended up scoring a relatively decent goal. I thought their keeper should have done a lot better for it. But it, we looked relatively in control. Gillingham were the only chances Gillingham had really were of our creating. I think Dobson played a really silly back pass and they were they were thrown goal. And um, I think it was um, Mandron, the ex lad who probably should have done better, but Power did really well. Um, but then in this... In the second half, the the exact moment where the confidence just went was the free kick. And it, yeah, I don't think it was a free kick, but it's inexcusable for what happened after that. You know, it's a, a professional goalkeeper who, you know, I know he's, had, he's, he's on bad form, but John McLaughlin's a good goalkeeper, you know, in, in, the, in the cold light of day, and he should be doing a lot better there. And then after then, it was just hoofball most of the time to Grigg and then to McNulty. When McNulty come on, I thought actually we looked a little bit better, and we moved O nine into the middle, which he's got a lot more energy than Maguire has, um, and he kind of it, it looked as if we could have possibly went for it, but we didn't really muster a chance, did we? I think McGeady had one, which was a decent save, but the best opportunities went, went to Gillingham at the end. So we could have easily lost, and which probably, as one of the uh, people said there, that was probably the worst possible result for us was was going down to Gillingham in ten days' time and having to do it all again. Absolutely. Is the mistake McLaughlin made, and do you think that's indicative of a lack of confidence? I mean, it's it's naturally going to already be shot, given that leading up to his exclusion from the team, mm. he was making other mistakes. Is that mistake just the culmination of a lack of confidence? Well, for me, he looked ropey most of the game. There was a couple of times in the first half where uh, the ball was like coming over the top and in between the defenders and him, and he was just stopping, and and it, there was just no communication between him and the and Willis and uh, Lynch. As far as his confidence is, if you're low on confidence, I can get that. But you sh- any, any goal, I mean, I could have done better with that. Oh, absolutely. You know what I mean? And it's just one of them things that's, that's happening to him whilst he's down. Um, we probably shouldn't kick him while he's down. But I think in two weeks' time, when, or in 10 days' time, if Burge is fit, Burge is going to play. And Burge now is our number one goalkeeper. You know, basically indicative of what happened yesterday. Mm-hmm. I think Burge is... Um, thanks to McLaughlin, Burge has firmly rooted himself as the number one keeper just mm-hmm. because he's not done anything like that, you know, and, and, and touch what he never will. But yeah, it's just, uh, I don't know. What do you think, Sam? It, it shows you how much football is just a confidence game. I mean, mm-hmm. we're talking about someone who last season was our best player and we might not have even got where we did last season without him. And then we're talking about now not even being the number one keeper. It just shows you what, maybe we don't know what's going on behind the scenes and his contract and everything, but... It's like watching a different play. I mean, that mistake yesterday, it, it's a howler, isn't it? He, he'll know himself we don't have to go oh, yeah, about yeah. it. But the worst thing about it, though, he makes the save. It's got to be an own goal, down, hasn't yeah. it? Yeah, that, of course. It looks like an own goal to me, and they, they did the same at Lincoln. He just mm. yeah. pushed it in his own net as well. That's two own goals now. Oh, the ball, the ball comes out to him, and I mean, there's a lot of power on the shot. Okay, but ultimately, it's coming at chest height to him. It's a very yeah. comfortable angle, you know, when you're a keeper that... The first thing you're taught, you bring it into your chest. You know, mm-hmm. you, you cup your your arms over it, and you bring it in to your solar plexus. And then, if you if you need to, you drop to the floor to put your body behind. Yeah, to anchor in the support, put your body behind it. Yeah, it's, it's quite inexplicable looking back at it. I, I can't even mm. tell what happens. Like it sort of he, he grabs it, but then through his arms, it sort of slips and then goes under his legs. It looks like he sort of makes a save and wants to part. You know, when some keepers palm it down and then catch it again, it looks yeah. like he does that. And then sort of. Yeah, it's but underneath him. So there's no need to do that though when you get a shot like that. Strange one. That just you look at it and I think Burge will come straight back in. But you've got to look and think now is that 
is that it for McLaughlin? I mean, even if he he doesn't go, he's not going to sit and want to be the number two. He's, he's better than that. And beyond a canny bit money, to just sit and be number two mm -hmm. as well, won't he? You yeah. might want to go with a young lad. Mm -hmm. I think the keeper on the bench the last couple of weeks is a Patterson. Yeah. Anthony Patterson, yeah. So maybe give him a chance number two or get someone new in. But it's hard because genuinely, like I was saying, you're talking about someone last season who him and McGady, without them, God knows where would have finished. And mm -hmm. Not even a Christmas in the new season, we're talking about him not even being in the squad. I was a pivotal member last season and I think that's why it pains me to say this, but we'll we'll go to you, Mark. Based on that mistake yesterday, it, it's it's one of many, sadly to say, uh, is that the final nail in the coffin for McLaughlin? I mean, as Sam says there, he's a high earner. If he does stick around, we don't want to pay that much money for a number two. What do you think? Yeah, potentially. I mean, I think it's... It's definitely going to be the case that when Lee Burge is back from injury, he's he's number one. I don't think he's done anything to warrant being dropped. I think he's looked pretty pretty solid, to be mm -hmm. fair. I don't think he's been spectacular, but he's been a kind of seven out of ten every week. He's looked looked pretty good. You know, Phil Parkinson's been pretty clear. He wants to take a, a view of everyone before engaging in any contract discussions. So those discussions they would have been having with McLaughlin have probably been shelved for now. And that probably is a thought going through his mind. I don't, I don't think he'd have definitively made a decision either way on, yeah, we want Rid or... Yeah, we're definitely going to keep him, but it'll definitely be a, a consideration now. And obviously, if you know, touch wood, it's not the case, but if it looks like there might be a third season in League One and they're thinking about how they spend their wages, etc., if he's a high earner, Lee Burge is your number one, you are going to think, are we better off bringing someone else in or giving Anthony Patterson a chance? So I don't think he'll have ruled him out completely. I don't think that's the end of his Sunderland career by any stretch, but. Phil Parkinson will definitely have to be, be thinking carefully about his, his long-term future. Mm. What were your other thoughts on the game, Mark, looking at the Gillingham one? Was there anyone you were particularly impressed with, thought that played well, or was there anyone else that you thought were partially responsible for not seeing the game out and not beating them? The thing that I think lingered with me after the game was I was looking at that Gillingham team and I'm thinking there's three, four, five of them that on yesterday's showing would walk into Sunderland's team, in my opinion. I think Ollie Lee had a really good game, yeah, yeah. Brandon Hanlon. There was, there was a number of them that I thought actually on this form and, you know, I'm not professing to see Gillingham week in, week out, but on yesterday's performances, they would probably get in a Sunderland's team. Mm -hmm. And if Sunderland are wanting to push on towards the top half of League One, that should maybe be a little bit of, of a concern. Mm -hmm. um, it, it is, it's naturally quite alarming that you, I mean, again, and I, I mean this in the nicest way possible, not, not that we have any Gillingham listeners, of course, but obviously without any real disrespect to Gillingham, if we're looking at your team, which I did that as well, I I, I personally look at that. Um, Brandon Hanlon was one that I thought, yeah, he'd actually look quite good. I look at him and think, you know what, we we, we quite needed an attacking player like that. Uh, we should have enough to not need to look at Gillingham and go, we could do with someone like that. Yeah, completely, yeah. Completely, Given what the ambitions yeah. are meant to be. Yeah, and I think again yesterday, you know, you mentioned it, maybe the keeper should have done better with McGeady's goal. Mm -hmm. Another keeper may have saved that. There was a couple of chances, you know, Chris Maguire should probably score that one before half-time. There's the one um, where it's pulled back to 0-9 and he's just stretching. If he gets any touch on that, it's in. Mm -hmm. But again, in the final third, there, were just, there was just that little bit of spark, isn't it? Them, them, that final pass, that mm -hmm. delivery, that person make, making a run to get onto the delivery. Because again, something Phil Parkinson's, you know, repeatedly stated is that the number of deliveries they're putting in the box has drastically increased since he's come in. And I think that's clear to see, but... There's just no one making that run to get on the end of them. There's no one kind of busting the gut to get into the box to get on the end of them. And they, they need that. They need people mm -hmm. who just want to get on the end of crosses. Yeah. And at the moment, they're not seeing that. And that in itself is a worry as well, isn't it? I mean, yeah. you can look at the end of the day, you can say, right, well, our, our statistic of number of crosses completed has increased. 
But if your number of goals has stayed the same, that doesn't make us feel any better. That makes us probably feel worse, actually. Because what that's basically telling us is that no matter how many we get in there, we're scoring one goal a game tops. And that's just, you know, for a team that's aiming for promotion, that's nowhere near clinical enough. You won't even make the playoffs with that kind of form. Yeah, because essentially now you're banking on keeping a clean sheet. Yeah. To, to win a game. And, and that's what Ross did. And, and as, as, we, as, we, as we could tell under Ross, that didn't work. That's why we, are, that's why we're the, we were the 1-1 draw merchants last season. Yeah. And all it takes is one mistake, like yesterday, or mm-hmm. I think you, Sam touched on it, that misplaced pass from George Dobson. If that goes the other way, yeah. they had a chance where Oli Lee's shot and McLaughlin's palmed it away. And if he sees the lad running to his left and threads it in, he scores and it's 2-1. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's probably where Phil Parkinson's going to look at. He's obviously an attack-minded manager. We've spoke about that before. He's going to look and think we need to get a lot more out of this team yeah. moving forward. What do you think they're missing at the moment, Mark? Like if you were to maybe say like not like not like a specific player, but like a type of player or players, just a goal scorer. I think they're just missing a number nine who's going to put the ball in the back of the net. Mm. I think you know I think he'll give Charlie Wyke a chance when he gets back. If you look at the strikers he's worked with before, I was having this conversation with someone yesterday. You kind of Gary Medines, your Aaron Wilbrahams. They're tall target men, but they're quick on their feet as well. And Sunderland mm. probably don't have any one of that ilk at the moment. No. So it's probably maybe he's thinking I'll give Charlie Wyke a go. He's obviously persisting with Will Grigg at the moment. Um, you know, he said he wants to do some more work with Mark McNulty. He's still Sunderland's, you know, one of Sunderland's top scorers. So I'd be giving him a chance. But I think he probably will be looking to January now and thinking we we, we need something more up front. Mm-hmm. Maybe even another kind of attacking. I know Lyndon Gooch's out at the moment, but maybe another kind of number 10 wide option. Because they're just really, really lacking at the moment. You just, you can't see where a goal is going to come from. Last year, you were looking, you had McGeady. At this point, you had Madge. You were like, it's, it was more a case of how many are they going to score than are they going to score in, in a year. That's completely flipped. We'll talk a bit more about sort of transfer policy and looking towards the January window in a bit. But I want to maybe come back to just like the game and the style of play and how it didn't get us the win. I'll go back to you here, Sam. Now, this is just something I thought, but just let me know what you think about this. When I was watching the game and what we said earlier, one of the few positives we've spoken about is that again we can see what Parkinson wants he's known as an attack man- manager and he's tried to make that work we're putting together at least early on in the games we try to put together a lot of passes we try to play the ball on the ground we try and overload the wings get the balls in look for overlaps we do a lot of things that you know quite technically gifted and techni- and you know like clinical attack minded teams would do while it looks very nice it, it, it does break down in the final third but Getting back to that, what happened was was that when we sort of went behind, when McLaughlin made that howler, we didn't look like the same team again. We we looked immediately very shot on confidence and a lot of the time we tried to play hoofball as the game wore on, as the lads got tired. There were a lot of like quite aimless balls going up that maybe Greg or McNulty or 9 were trying to chase and no one was getting there. That's what we saw under Ross as well though. That that happened as well. Ross would maybe would have that half an hour of decent form and then maybe something would cause the confidence to sort of evaporate, and then we would go back to just very generic hoofball that doesn't work because our players can't do that. Is that a concern that that perhaps that issue is still prevalent in this Sunderland team? I think so, yeah, because we want to avoid going back to under the latter stages of Ross's tenure. You want, we, want to, we don't want to go back to the style of football then, do we? Because it was, like you said, sort of aimless, no one really look like they knew what they were doing and I think we said we touched on this um at, after the South End game. We said we were putting like what was earlier, we were putting in good crosses and stuff, but it just if or nine against South End, I think you said it last week, doesn't score that 
great header and Hume doesn't put it right in his head, we could have walked away with a goal this draw against South End, which would have been really worrying. And I think uh, Mark said, I've, I've said this earlier, last year you were watching the game and no matter how poorly we were playing, you just you sort of knew we were going to score. It sort of became a theme. And put, watching this, yeah, it could could easily be a goalless draw, 1-0 defeat, or like you say, when we're going 1-0 up, we're banking on keeping a clean sheet, which, as we all know, Sporting Sunderland, we're never going to not make that mistake or not see a wonder goal or something, do you know what I mean? So I think it is a worry, and hopefully, now that we've got some time on the training ground, I know it's not uh, as much as we hope because of the replay now, we can just solely focus on our attack and play and see getting two, three quick goals like we did it against Tranmere and trying to win games that way because I think that's what would best be suited to Parkinson and the team, really. Mm -hmm. I'll ask the same question that I asked Mark there, Sam. If there's a type of striker that we need, what type of striker is that? It's really hard to say because if you don't look at uh, Will Griggs tenure here, you would say Will Griggs, you'd say a proven League One goal scorer, wouldn't you? Mm -hmm. He'd probably still be number one if he hadn't came. But that can take various different forms, though, can't it? League One goal scorer can come in many different shapes and sizes. Will yeah. Griggs being one for Wigan, but then we've had someone, some other lads who knocked him in for other teams. Kiefer Moore at Barnsley is an entirely different animal to, yeah. to Will Griggs. Marcus is last Marcus, year. Yeah. yeah, yeah, totally. I think looking how we're playing. Um, Someone like Charlie White, because you, you look at the amount of crosses we're putting in the box and um, how we're sort of playing, I think, more of a hold-up striker. But like uh, Mark was saying, who partners has worked with before, I wouldn't describe Charlie White as being quick quick in any sense, never mind on his feet. So mm -hmm. maybe work on that. But I think if we do get White back and it's not working for him, we'll have to look to the window because we can't just rely on three Goal scorers to get you one goal every two matches or three matches or whatever. No, it's, between the um, three of them, it's not. It's not promotion um, form, is it? It's what you expect from a team fighting relegation to have yeah. three strikers that seldom score. Not not a team that's meant to be pushing for the automatics. God, it's um, uh, it's depressing. Yeah, oh, definitely. I mean, I'll I'll go I'll go back to you now, and if yeah. we're looking as well at the game yesterday, obviously we've spoken there at length about our lack of sort of goal scoring prowess and that seems to hinge largely on our lack of lack of final ball from a striker to put the ball in the net. Most of our goals come from players like Aidan McGeady and Chris McGuire and, and you know, Luke O'Nine, players who aren't strikers, obviously. But if we're looking at other areas of the pitch, based on yesterday's performance, we, we introduced a lot of fringe players back into the team. We played a lot of players who don't normally start for the first team week in, week out. How do we feel about the ones that we saw yesterday? Yeah, I thought Lawrence Dubois played well. thought he had a, had a really strong game. Um... Did really well putting the crossover for Maguire, who um, who should score really. I thought he was solid. Um, but that Dobson, well, Dobson's been playing regular, hasn't he? I thought he was really good first half. Sort of lacked off a little bit second half. I think um, McNulty when he came on looked a lot looked a lot more like it kind of thing. But the the, the problem being, I mean. If, even if we're putting these balls into the strikers and we're playing balls through the strikers, we're not getting, we're not supporting said striker either. Like no. McNulty came on yesterday, did this really good run, looked up to put the ball in the box, and I think 09 was the closest one to him, and he was playing on the right hand side of midfield. Yep. Like, where's Power? Where's Dobson? Where's Maguire? Where's anyone, really? He was just going like, to try and get on the end of it. Um, but uh, really, in, in answer to your question, Alex, only Debock really, I thought was. 
good, really. Yeah. See, I, I, I reckon I, I totally hear what you're saying with McNulty. I, I, if I'm honest, I, do, I didn't rate the box that much, to be honest. I would rather have had Hume there than if, if I was going to pick anyone. But no, what I think with McNulty, and I think it's interesting, when he comes on, and normally, again, that, that's the key phrase, when he comes on, when he comes off the bench, he often looks really lively and he looks to, he, he looks to be a real sort of like clinical forward player. Uh, against Tranmere, he came on. Um, he was brought on as a sub, and he did that thing where he beat three men, and then narrowly sort of like scooped it over the bar, which would have been a lovely goal if he put that away. Uh, again, yesterday he, he looked very good, but I think the issue is that he comes on in games where once we sort of tire and once we get more fatigued, we therefore don't have as much support for players yeah. like McNulty, and he's the only one with legs at that point in the game. One thing I have noticed is that while I do like that Parkinson is trying a lot more attacking football and we're trying to, you know, early doors were stringing together loads of passes and being quite relentless while sort of attacking the enemy goal. When the game wears on, they look a lot more tired as a consequence. And I think as that happens, when you bring McNulty on, you've maybe got him on the pitch with his, you know, with his sort of like, with his fresh legs, but then the rest of the lads are knackered. So while he's making a, a great run forward, while he's making a really sort of like, you know, while he's he's dribbling and taking on two or three players, the lads who are who need to come up with him are a pace slower just because they're tired. Mm-hmm. Or you know, maybe at this point we've we've began panicking and a lot of them have resorted to a, you know project hoofball where they're launching it up and then sort of hitting and hoping. But re- regardless, I, I I do just feel that I, I feel that McNulty needs to be starting now. You know, if we want to see more clinical play, yeah, we definitely. need to get Gooch back ASAP. We need McNulty start. I, I don't know what what do you lads think. I think definitely you're right with Gooch. I do think we miss Gooch a lot. Um, and this is going back from from last season when he was starting, this time last season, starting to play a little bit poor, but I thought he was one of our better performers in the early months of last season. Um, I think when Watmore doesn't play, you can tell, because there's not that directness and pace. Um, I'm with you with McNulty, to be honest. I think he should be he should have come on a lot earlier yesterday. You know, I think we left it till, what, 65th minute or something to bring him on. And then Watmore got 10 minutes at the end. It's kind of like let's let's go and win the game, really. But well, what we're lacking, I think, as well, is a midfielder who is going to run into the box. You know, I think Power's done it a couple of times this season. We've gone on the edge and hit mm-hmm. like some really good goals. But I'm gonna I'm gonna put it as well. Should we bring Ethan Robson back? Because he's that kind yeah. of player. I'll tell you who could have done that. I'll tell you. I'll tell you who could have been your box to box, you know, goal scoring and potentially. You know, backtracking def- midfielder George Honeyman. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> George Honeyman could have done that. Yeah. I knew you were going to say that. Seven out of ten. Yeah, hey, you know what it is, though, right? George Honeyman was it was a uh, uh, he was a good footballer and he was a big character in the dressing room. I was yeah. saying this. We were leaving the game yesterday. I was talking to my dad and I was saying, you know, when I, when I look at some of the sales that we've made on players, I don't understand them. Like I didn't get them then and I, and I don't get them now. I assumed in my ignorance that when we sold Reese James and George Honeyman, that there was a bigger picture that we couldn't comprehend yet because obviously we didn't know the full ins and outs of the back room. But you, you look at it now and I think, what was the point in selling Reese James? Reese James was decent. He never had a bad game. You know, he wasn't, he wasn't, he wasn't horrendous. He was decent. I, I, I quite, I quite liked him. I look at George Honeyman. Massive character in the changing room, and loves the club. Lo- loves yeah. loves the club, and was I think for all intents and purposes quite a good player at this yeah. level. Yeah, yeah, he's you playing know. at a higher level now. For well, a there you go. Well, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, and and if I'm not mistaken, again, I, I I don't profess to be a whole city fan, but they seem to like him quite a lot. Yeah, so he's doing some right. He's in. I mean, fair enough. You know, the whole on a high flying championship team these days. But the point stands: the the the, the lads making it currently at a higher level. 
and I, I, I look at it and I, and I look at how he was for us. He was a box-to-box midfielder. He wasn't the biggest lad, but he was energetic. You know, he, he had a decent finish on him. He could pass the ball. He could move with it. Yeah. He had a really good sense of positional awareness and those around him. He, he could he could link he could link a midfield to an attack very well when he when he was in the right position. But I think it's a shame Elliot Emmons injured as well because he's that kind of mould as well who can like get on the end of things and, and stuff. But you know he's he's injured, so we've got to like you know make do with what we've got. But mm-hmm. we have got I think we have got a lot. I think maybe all four of our. Like first team centre midfielders, Dobson, uh, Power, McGeoch and Lebit are kind of the same, aren't they? They're just I mean, Grant used to be able to do it, anybody can't now. He's too old, so you know, sorry Grant, but you know. It is what it is though, isn't it? Like you're right, his his legs have gone. It's Grant yeah. Lebit more often than not slows games down mm-hmm. rather than speeds them up. What what he can offer is counter counterbalanced by what he can't, which is uh, again a shame, but ultimately I d I don't know. I'll, I'll get a, I'll get a I'll get maybe an outsider's perspective from you here, Mark, on on the sales that Sunderland have made because that's I think I think it's quite a quite a, a good point to touch on at this point in the pod. Obviously, you look at players like Honeyman and James who've left, and like I've said there, I think a lot of us were assuming that we were ignorant to the bigger picture, but now the bigger picture doesn't look so good. Yeah, I think the Honeyman one was perhaps made with a view to the coming summer when he was out of contract. He could have walked away from the club, and it's maybe well we've got this offer for. You know, we've got a six-figure offer in. We know we're guaranteed some money here. It stops him walking away and us, you know, not getting much on our return. Um, but I, I do agree Sunderland have missed him this year. Likewise, Reese James, I was quite surprised by that, especially when you would have looked at Doncaster as a team that would and, and are now kind of rivaling Sunderland. They're a good team. Um, and he was pretty solid last year. I know he didn't play every week. It was kind of alternating between the three at left-back. But I thought when he played, he was he was good and... Is, is Lawrence de Bock any better? I know we've not seen a huge deal of him. He's probably costing more. Mm-hmm. Um, which which I think just makes the whole deal quite pointless. Yeah. Why would you... I mean, he was brought in in the era where you know, we were giving players less weekly wages and he left for Doncaster for nothing, if I'm not mistaken. So what was the point? Yeah, exactly. It, it, it's a strange one. And if you're talking about proven League One players, players who've you know been there and done it in League One, Reese James is that kind of mould. You know, he's he's won League One with Wigan. He's had a good career. You know, he came through Man United's academy. He's, he's had, got a good grounding in the game. And it was, yeah, it was a bit of a strange one. It always sounded if Sunderland did have left-backs lined up and missed out on a few. And then obviously, Debot came in quite late in the window. So perhaps there was a, a bigger picture that just kind of never came to fruition. No. Um, but yeah, you, you look back now and you think, yeah, probably should have probably should have kept hold of him because he, he would be in and around that team. I do think Denver Hume's played well though. I think it's I think he's probably been the biggest plus from Phil Parkinson's time in charge. Because I think he we were saying earlier about overlaps and trying to get the fullbacks forward. I think that really suits his game. He's maybe a little bit suspect at the back, but in terms of getting forward and putting those deliveries in, like we saw against South End, he's really, really benefiting from that style of play. Yeah, yeah, he seems it's it's the it's the the quite um not not classic but quite stereotypical wing back role isn't it that you, that you would expect from a, maybe a more attacking side that wants to play wants to play via the wings that you should have a winger and a wing back who who sort of alternate in positions and w- w- when he fulfills that role when he takes the ball you know tries to beat his man run at defense look for the overlap with players like McGeady he can he can link up really well and he's got a very good awareness and I think intelligence for the game which which you're right, I totally agree. If there is any positives to take from what we've seen under Parkinson, I think Humes looked really at home with the way he's played. Uh, that was a concern initially because obviously he, he didn't get off to the best start and we, then we often thought at that, at that point, OK, so why sell James then if, if the young lad 
if you've put too much of a burden on the young lad's shoulders, why did you sell your senior player? Yeah, and a big thing I, I said over the summer was, obviously Denver Hume's been around the Sunderland first team for a while, but it's easy to forget he's never had a season where he's been first choice left back. Mm. He's never been out on loan. He's never had a season where that is his spot and he's yeah. under the pressure to perform. And at the start of the season, there was no one no one there. You know, there was no Lawrence to Bock. It was him. It was all on his shoulders. Mm. And for a young lad, that's that's quite a pressure. Yeah. Playing for, you know, your club where you've come through the academy. There was quite a lot of pressure on his shoulders, I think, and that maybe showed. Mm -hmm. But the way he's bounced back, again, for someone so young, is really kind of commendable. And I think he's been a real, real shining light. And hopefully now, when he's back from that virus, it can it can continue. Mm. And I think as well, it spares the blushes of the recruitment team, if I'm perfectly honest, because... I look at it and I think, right, well, your game plan, your bigger picture rather, hasn't materialised, like we've said there. And what we now have consequentially is a young lad who's, in a, I mean, I know he's not like a young, young lad anymore, but a, a, a young lad, relatively speaking, who's never, as you've said there, Mark, had the full burden of being the first choice fullback in that position. It didn't go off to the best start and it, it looked like he was going to be under under the cosh really because you're always going to be, if, if you have to hold down that position, the fans, you know, if you're not playing well, then the, the, the fans can't treat you compassionately. They all can't. You know, at the end of the day, you're you're, you're an adult now when you have to perform. But, you know, it, it's it's benefited the recruitment team well that we know they've brought in Debock last minute, but thankfully Hume has picked up and started playing well. If he hadn't and his confidence got a bit shattered and he started to underperform, it would look like, right, well, why didn't you have any extra support there? Why wasn't there a plan B? If Denver Hume, if, if it was too much too soon for him, why wasn't Reese James waiting in the wing <coughs> to, to jump in to, to ease, ease the burden? It, 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 I think it could have got very, very messy. And it, I think mercifully for him, it hasn't because he's a good player. So, you know, more power to him. Really, if anything, but anyway, take a little break there because we have got some good news today. We have another competition because, like, as I've said so many times, we just love doing those now here at the Roger Report. So this week, our friends at Football Bobbles offered one of our followers a Sunderland shirt, history print, and I am pleased to announce that our winner is Sean Meek. So congratulations, Sean. If you could please DM the Roger Report podcast on any of our social media platforms with your contact details, we will get that to you as soon as possible. Please do it quickly because Tom will take it if not. Anyway, one point I will say as well that myself and Graham, fellow Roker reporter, we are, well, fellow Roker, well, yeah, reporter. How do you say it? Like, what, like, you know, like a, a report is a reporter. This is the rapport. What do you say? A rapport? Rapporer. Rapporer. Yeah. Fellow, fellow Roker reporter. Uh, we're both doing Movember to raise money for men's health, both physical and mental. If you don't know what Movember is. Over on Graham's um, uh, Twitter and also it's, it'll, it's my pinned tweet currently. There's a link where you can sponsor us and all monies go towards the relevant charities. Basically what happens is that for Movember, you know, men, men across the country are growing out a moustache. Much like the awful Michael Serra-esque one I've currently got now. Thank God this is an audio platform. For, for the purposes of basically ensuring that, you know, like men across UK and beyond are getting appropriate support for, you know, illnesses such as such as prostate cancer, for physical health, and then for mental health, obviously, to, to try and combat the um, horrendous rates of men's suicide due to poor mental health. It's all going to go towards a good cause. So if you can spare, you know, no matter how small your donations could be, if you head over to mine or Graham's Twitter, you can make donations there. Anything at all, literally anything would be appreciated. Let's move on to some questions from the listeners. So start with Jake Benson, who says, how do you solve a problem like John McLaughlin? 
He was at fault for so many goals this season. Shall we cash in in January and make Burge permanent number one? So we kind of alluded to this earlier, but we'll hear from you, Ant. What, what do you think? Well, plain and simple, you've got to take him off the firing line, haven't you? Because it's just going to... It's it's the worst thing if you're a goalkeeper. If you make a mistake, it's going to be a goal. You know, we've got like, you know, strikers, midfielders who can make a simple mistake. doesn't particularly matter. Um, but th- yeah, they've either got him, got to take him out the fire night, and then they must sort this contract out with him because that is, I think that's what it is that's affecting him. Um, so either you know we've got January coming up, we're going to say right, we're going to cut our losses, we're going to get, we're going to you know, get a little bit of money for you, or he signs a new deal. Um, and in the meantime, I, I'm probably not going to play him. Probably just going to play Burge if he's fit. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Sam? I agree. Yeah, I think I'm hitting the nail on the head. You've got to. Take him out the fire line, like we see with any player. Like, um, well, like we would have, we would have done with Hume if we had the backup at the start of the season. That was mainly why <clears throat> he was not great. And thankfully, unlike McLaughlin, he's managed to turn it around. But I think, I think, and try, I think it is this because he came out at the start of the season and said, "You can't sign what's not there" or something similar to that. I don't want to misquote him. And it seems ever since then he's been a bit shaky and a bit sort of. Looks like his mind might be elsewhere, which we never know what goes on behind the scenes. But maybe rightly so, if he if he does want to stay here, you never know. And he, he's not getting off the contract on the back of a, a player of the season performance last season, really. So, but no, I think Burge comes straight back in, and then uh, well, we've just got a new goalkeeping coach, haven't we? So maybe mm. he can work on him in training. Uh, maybe John can play in the uh, the liaison. Dot com trophy games and putting a performance leasing.com leasing sorry uh, it's, it's, Sam it's a very prestigious trophy I'm personally quite offended that you don't even know it's near well, my check the trade that was the only highlight just yeah, on the train there my mum just singing <laughs> yeah. that jingle the whole time didn't help yeah. the fact that we're going to beat on penalties uh, to, to be fair right, I've said this before on, on the pod but like check a trade trophy sounded quite good because it had that like alliteration and consonants you know Holds check a trade tongue, trophy yeah, yeah. But leasing.com trophy, and I think when we had Richard Menier on here, he said the same thing. It's like it sounds like some kind of like like business, like so, executive five aside like, 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 like Yeah, it does. It sounds like if you had like if you were, if you were like part of like a like a, a business of some kind, and you like organised like a, a charity tournament in in the in the company between yeah. like you and between the marketing team and the sales team, it would be called the leasing.com trophy. I feel like that's what that's that's pretty. Sorry, I digress. What were you saying, Sam? Um, I totally killed your train of thought now. No, I don't know if I had one, to be fair. Um, <laughs> just about Burge coming back in and taking him out the firing line, like Anne said, but he is a great player. And the good thing is, he's he's of an age where it shouldn't be affecting him. I know it's easy to say that from the sideline, but hmm. when you compare it to someone like Hume, who was a young lad who'd made nine appearances or something, and then suddenly he's the first choice left back, McLaughlin should be able to bounce back. He should, he should want to bounce back, really. It should hmm. be a challenge for him. Um, Especially if he wants to move away, he should should be putting in the performances. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So we've got a, I've got another question here from Luke O'Brien, who says, "How long is it before the owners admit they've made another mistake and get rid of Parkinson? We've appointed someone who has spent the last eighteen months losing every single week, and it looks like he's picked up right where he left off at Bolton, with four defeats and seven games already. We'll be lucky to stop up at this rate." Okay, who wants to take this one? Um, uh, and. He's been in a month. You know what I mean? He's been in a month. Yeah. I mean, I don't think he's 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 not sort of you know exempt from any criticism because uh, it 
you know, like Saturday wasn't good enough last week against Southend. I know we got three points, but we were poor, weren't we? It wasn't a great performance. Mm-hmm. Um, we've lost games against Shrewsbury. We should have won. Really, we had a lot of chances. Should have won. Um, and I would say probably the only game we played really bad was Wickham away when we got well, that was his first game. We got bullied really. Mm-hmm. You know? I, I do miss out Leicester because we had that competition in Leicester because. Because uh, I don't particularly care for the trophy, really. It's it's a needless exercise this season. The promotion is the uh, the aim of the game. Um, I th- like I say, I think with Parkinson, we need to kind of judge him. Um, we need to get, yeah, we need to give him a window, don't we? He needs to to get his players in. He needs to get the players he wants to wants to play his system. You know, we've got this kind of thing where he's going to want a target man. Um, so let him, let him have you know a little bit of money and stuff. If it's the same by. You know, March, yeah, but we'll do what we always did, just sack them and then we'll be Harry, won't we? Yeah. I think if I'm going to answer this question, um, well, I'll, I'll answer it in parts. How long is it before the owners admit they've made another mistake and got rid of Parkinson? Well, um, a month is not a satisfactory metric of time, I don't think, to, to judge them based on. I think maybe if we're 10 months in and we're still round mid to upper table, I would say, yes, that could be a mistake. I think it's very cynical to assume they've already made a mistake by appointing him just because we haven't won every single game so far. So, no, I think I think given more than a month is my answer to the first part. Um, we've appointed someone who spent the last 18 months losing every single week. He was in charge of Bolton, who were in a perpetual crisis and had absolutely no money. And towards the end, it didn't even have a first team of senior players. So I think to lose week in, week out um, is not personally his fault. I wasn't particularly keen about that either, if I'm being perfectly honest. But ultimately... I can't attribute that to him. He still managed to keep them up in their first season back to the championship, despite having, again, very limited resources. They went down the next season, and then they lost all their senior players. Uh, again, they, they had about... They had, they had, like, three players left when they went down. So am I surprised that they were getting beat every week? Not at all. Would any would, would Jose Mourinho have got the same results? Yes. Um, and he's picked up right way left off of Bolton. Uh, I'm going to say again, no, he he hasn't picked up way left way left off with Bolton because you know we have senior players, so we haven't we're not losing five 0 every week. We're we're, we're we're winning one nil or drawing one one again, which is mediocre. But it's it's not it's not a crisis like it was in Bolton, and um, we'll be lucky to stop up. Um, we're not getting relegated. <laughs> On to the next question. So Fetch Fletch says, I seem to recall seeing Stuart Donald saying he wouldn't outstay his welcome. Now correct me if I'm wrong, but he really and truly is avoiding coming to the match in case he gets abuse. Doesn't that suggest he's not welcome, Sam? I don't think he's not welcome. If he isn't welcome, it's by a minority. Well, I'd, I'd like to hope minority of fans. Do you know what I mean? It certainly doesn't speak for me if we say he's not welcome. I think he's he's very welcome. I don't think he's overstaying his welcome at all. Um, who Who's to say it? how big his welcome is, do you know what I mean? Just because it's not all winning 5-0 every week and beer gardens and all sorts, does that mean it's his fault? Does that mean, where does the blame lie, really? It's 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 getting similar to how it is with managers. Like the question before, you lose, you, well, you lose four or five games and people suddenly want everyone sacked, do you know what I mean? Or everyone leaving the club and, I know it's, it's, it's not perfect what's happening and it is mediocre, like you said, and it, it, it's not about pointing fingers and wanting to see uh, blood shed and away, do you know what I mean? It's not about losing jobs and losing players. It's it's about coming together and just getting behind the team, if anything, getting behind who's in charge and Stuart's right at the top of that. So I think... Yeah. We'll move on to the next question from Shia Mua Mackham. 
I'll go to you for this one, Mark. Yeah. And it says, um, did anyone else feel yesterday demonstrated that more than ever that we are now a mid-table League One club? John McLaughlin collecting the ball from the stands, a group of kids at the front of the East Stand trying to catch the raindrops from the roof rather than watch the match. The players' lounge closed for the first time ever. Fans moved from executive boxes to the West Stand seats. We're in the worst state in our entire history. What do you make of that? I think the first thing to point out with the, the John McLaughlin ball boy thing is that there were there were ball boys at the stadium of line. I yeah. think people have maybe it's seen that on on yeah, not not very good ones, <laughs> but they, they were there. Uh, I think people have maybe seen that on social media and, and taken it the wrong way. I think it was John McLaughlin maybe just being frustrated it wasn't being thrown back quick enough and taking matters into his his own hands. Um I mean, yeah, there's there's kind of no way to to maybe sugarcoat it, the crowd, everything about the day. It it just felt a little bit flat, didn't it? It was just a bit kind of yeah, almost a typical kind of FA Cup first round tie against another League One team. It was, it probably does show a little bit, you know, where where Sunderland are. Um, but is you know maybe that's not a bad thing. Maybe some of those people need reminding. We are a League One club in terms of tempering expectations and things like that. It it maybe is a little bit of a, a reminder in that sense. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, some of the decisions the club took, obviously, you know, opening one stand and things, are, are sensible decisions in terms of cost cutting. Because if you have to steward the whole stadium and things like that, it's it's a very expensive exercise. So I can see why people may think that looks a certain way. But in the, in the club's defence, I think it's a it's a sensible decision to make because you'd have people at the same time saying, "Well, why have they opened this, the whole stadium for?" Generates for a bit of atmosphere as well, or doesn't it? Even though, like, there wasn't yeah. much anyway yesterday at all. But if you've got like eight thousand fans pocketed all over certain parts of the stadium it's just going to be like uh, you know what I mean yeah, yeah exactly yeah. Be, there's, gonna be, there's no surround sound is there it no. would just be completely quiet I, I think it's very indicative of where we are I think if I'm perfectly honest does it show that we're a mid-table league one club yeah I I, I, I would say so I think that's that's I, I, that's as good as I think we are currently I think we're I think we've got quite a few fundamental weaknesses in the team. I don't think we look personally like we're challenging for the title anytime soon. There's a lot of work to be done to use a, to use that old buzz phrase. But yeah, yeah, um, it just it, it was a it was a, a a game that low of a profile is very indicative of where we are. And I think it's this is one of those things we've got to accept as part of where we are in our situation. And we've just got to do what we can as fans and the club's got to do what they can as the club to get us out of it basically to put it bluntly we'll go to you sam for this last question from james h who says why does parkinson persist with will grigg he is so lazy and uninterested mark mcnulty offered more movement in 10 minutes than grigg has in 10 months it's evident he doesn't want to be here um i think for the question why he's persistent like i'd say it's only been a month do you know what i mean like, i do get the thing about mcnulty but we all sat all over social media and all the questions was the new manager when he comes in what do he need to do and I think everyone was saying get Will Grigg scoring and he's, he's obviously trying to do that um, I think I think McNulty should start the next game but the thing for McNulty with, with me is he's not a number nine he's not a lone striker he needs that support so maybe why not try the two of them together I know that would change the whole system but McNulty's more of a not a classic number ten, but he, he's not. A, he's never going to be on the last line holding up the ball. He's going no. to be running the channels, yeah. so that might help Greg. Just see it, Greg. Mm-hmm. You stay in the middle. You stay in the box. Make the runs. Let McNulty do the dirty work mm-hmm. in a way like sort of what O nine does, but yeah. with more of an eye for goal. So absolutely, I could. I don't. I couldn't see anything wrong with trying the two of them together. No, I think that's totally fair. Do you think maybe Sam, maybe to ask you a different question, well, a, a similar but different one. 
could we possibly benefit from just seeing two strikers or just two players playing in some kind of striker role? Because perhaps Absolutely, the issue, yeah. maybe the reason why both Ross and Parkinson haven't been able to yield consistent, a uh, consistent amount of goals per game that's more than one is because both of them have played one striker. Yeah, I think so, and especially like we were saying earlier with the with the way we're playing, we're getting constant balls in the box. It's not going to hurt to put another body in there, is it? It's picking up the loose balls always been a big thing as mm-hmm. well, and um, and a second striker who's already in the box could do that. Yeah, exactly. I think well, one of the only times we've got a second person in the box was when he scored a header. So I think we could definitely benefit from McNulty and Greg together. I, I would very much like to say that to be honest. Mm. So we've got two final little parts in today's pod before we before we all get to get to go home and stop talking about Sunderland and get on with our lives. But basically, um, uh, the first thing we've got is another competition because you know more good news. We've got two competitions for the price of one this week. Our final competition we've saved the best to last because earlier this week we announced another giveaway. This time a digital copy of Football Manager 2020. After hundreds of entrants, I am pleased to announce that our winner goes by the Twitter handle of Richie Duggan. So congratulations to you, Richie. If you can DM us, we'll arrange your game for you. Jobs are good. Anyway, back to reality. The ScunthorpeLeasing.com game is the next game that we've got in our long list of enthralling fixtures. We'll just go quickly around the table. Who do you think, what, what do you think the score's going to be and who do you think's going to score? Start with you, Ant. Oh, wonderful. Um, I couldn't care less, to be honest. Uh, one nil Scunthorpe. Sorry. <laughs> God, that's awful. That. Anyway, <laughs> no, o- over to you, Sam. I literally just don't care um, about the trophy at all. Sorry. I'm in a similar boat, but one one nil Sunderland and Kim Young is going to score probably a cross or something. A cross, <laughs> score a cross. He's going to try yeah. and step over it and kick it in the net or something. Can he? I'll take that. What about you, Mark? Ever the optimist, I'll go I'll go 3 0 Sunderland. Nice. Listen, I reckon Dobson, Dobson and McNulty will get two. I'll just uh, quickly say that. Scunthorpe are absolutely dreadful. Like I've seen them play a couple of times this season, and mm-hmm. they are shocking. They were so, bad enough last season when they came here. Yeah, yeah they're, they they're really, really poor. So we should be going out there. Um, is it? It's Tuesday coming, isn't it? Tuesday coming. Yeah, I mean we haven't got a game Saturday, so I really, you know, do, go full, go full, do this two up front, Greg and McNulty, go for it. You know, try and win. And like I say, I mean my my issues on the trophies just I really don't care. As one out the way. Um, but you know, might give them a little bit of confidence, as in going for it and getting a few goals and all that, because they are, they will be there for the taking. And I'm pretty sure as well, Scunthorpe will have more bigger fish to fry with mm-hmm. the Saturday game going up, because they they will have a game and they're really struggling at the bottom. So yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a bit more upbeat, wasn't it? A little bit, yeah. You've you've you've, you've somewhat redeemed yourself, and I'll give you that. Uh, I mean, my coffee, my coffee's just hit. So, you know. Oh, brilliant! Yeah, yeah, yeah just... no, God. <laughs> if, that, if, that, if that caffeine buzz had picked up 15 <laughs> seconds earlier, you would have predicted a five nil win. Greg getting all five but no, no I mean ultimately what one thing we can all agree on is this is definitely a low profile fixture but ultimately we do want to see wins on the board rather than you know more sort of like drab and abject results yeah. I'm going to go for a 3-1 win for Sunderland I think we'll get goals from I think 0-9 is going to get one I think McGeady will get a second and I think McNulty will get a third I think that'll be quite a comprehensive win because as we've said there Scunthorpe are dire they were bad last season they're still bad now Anyway, thank you very much for listening once again to the Roker Report podcast and thank you to Sunderland Uni. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes with a five-star review. Thank you and good night. Hold up. 
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.